song number 99. Brother Trail has asked that we mark that and use that for the song of invitation after the lesson this morning. And along with those announcements that were made, certainly we can express our continued thanks to the Bible bowlers and all of those that were involved in that participation. And certainly we're delighted for the, what they learned about the book of 1 Samuel and all the things that went with it. It is also, I might add, one small element to those announcements that Brother Ted made about next Sunday. As, uh, is, the time, as is the case from time to time, I'm invited to be a part, my family and me, of a particular gospel meeting at certain places. And the same will be true next Sunday. The Milestown Church of Christ in Clay County has uh, scheduled a gospel meeting beginning next Sunday. There will be different speakers each of the evenings, but they've requested my part to be Sunday, and so my family and I will be there on next Sunday, September the 16th. And as usual, the young men or the other men of this congregation will do an outstanding job as they bring the lessons and the Bible study classes next Sunday. As always, we appreciate being able to lift their hands up and encouragement and also assisting them in their walk on the pathway of using their talents and their abilities in a way to share forth the proclamation of God's truth. Today, as we come to a lesson, as you can see on the wall to my left, a bit of a question for each and every one of us. Is it some or the some? And all through the course of the lesson today, that question will raise itself on many occasions. And so from time to time, I'll pause and ask you as well as myself questions exactly like that one. And each of us should be able, using the evidences from the Word of God to provide the proper answer. But the conclusion will be very meaningful. And it will also be very telling as it terms our stance before the God of heaven this day. Is it some or the some? It is with that in mind we might introduce the lesson with some of the following comments. The beauty and majesty of Christianity is highlighted on so many pages of the New Testament, not the least of which, 1 Peter 4 verse 16, But if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, rather let him glorify God in this name. You and I have been bequeathed that marvelous name of Christ in the word Christian, and as we wear that name, here are some thoughts that might come to us. We appreciate how special indeed is the Word of God. We have devoted a period of study of it already this morning. We have noticed its reference in the songs that we have sung together. And over the next few moments, we will give attention to another aspect and another set of passages found in the marvelous wonder of that Word. But when we think about that Word, the Word of God... Our questions today are going to be these. Is it some or is it the some? And you'll notice the word some is spelled differently in the two cases. The first, S-O-M-E. The second, S-U-M. We each understand that those are worlds apart. The word S-O-M-E identifies a section or part of something. The word S-U-M, on the other hand, identifies the compilation of, the putting together of various members, and that which is the conclusion is the fullness, the completion, the absolute entirety of the subject at hand. Is it some or is it the some? With regard to the Word of God throughout the ages, many have been the questions raised in which conclusions have been drawn that, quite frankly were only S-O-M-E of the truth, only some of it. But we shall ask today, is that good enough? 
Is that sufficient? Is that adequate? Or rather, must one give thought to S-U-M? The text that was read in our hearing just a moment ago was drawn from the longest chapter in the Old Testament. The 119th Psalm, verse 160 of that, is what Lucas read for us. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Other translations do a bit better job, it seems, from the original language at least, in presenting the forcefulness of the first part of that verse. In fact, another rendition puts it in language like this, The sum, S-U-M, of thy word is truth. The sum, S-U-M, of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. There we have it right before us that the Word of God sets before us not S-O-M-E, but rather S-U-M. The sum of thy word is truth. May I submit to you, already it seems as if God has profoundly given to us the answer. It's not S-O-M-E. It's S-U-M, and the significance of that presents itself not just in that verse, but in some of these others as well. That word S-U-M as you can see, literally means total, in full, or in its sum. And so that marvelous inspired writer of old set forth in such a brief way, the total, the sum, the fullness of thy word is truth. Beyond that, look at one of the statements made from the lips of our Savior in John the 10th chapter, verse 35. It was on that occasion that the Lord was involved in a conversation with the Jews and with others of that day and time. And as a part of that conversation, the Lord quoted from Psalm 82 in the Old Testament. It was a passage that captured their attention and set before them a thought that surely they'd never seriously considered. But at the close of verse 35, the Lord in majesty said, "...the Scripture cannot be broken." That seems such a direct and thorough consideration. The Scripture cannot be broken. What did the Lord mean by that statement? We understand it's possible for man to violate it. I'm guilty of sin in the same way that you are, and we know that we're thus able to be offensive. That's not what the Lord meant. Notice He didn't say that you or I in our keeping of it cannot be broken. He said the Scripture cannot be broken. That word means to set aside, to annul, to invalidate, to deprive of authority. The Lord said the sacred text cannot be set aside. It cannot be brought to disillusion. It cannot be annulled. It is with that in mind that has something to say about S-O-M-E or S-U-M, doesn't it? For isn't it true that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. It is with those in mind that maybe the thoroughness of those answers now cause us to consider some of these examples. Just as surely as we must rightly divide the sacred text and draw proper conclusions from it, we know that when that happens... The sum of God's Word is provided, S-U-M. Let's consider these for just a moment. In Leviticus, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse number 1, 
There was a circumstance in which Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire unto God. Might we take note of this? They used a censer as God had commanded. They used, of course, the incense that God had set forth. But the text simply says that they offered strange fire which He commanded them not. Might we notice they followed part of the Word of God. They again did use incense. They again did use the censer that God had ordered and commanded. They just missed part of it. They offered fire He had not commanded. Question, was that acceptable? Was that adequate? Was that enough to where God granted them the luxury of acceptability in His sight? We each remember how that saga ended in the next verse. Fire came out and consumed them on the spot. Notice that S-O-M-E was not sufficient. They needed to do all that God had commanded. The sum was what was important, S-U-M, not S-O-M-E. Let that example challenge us to appreciate that a part of truth is not enough. One needs the sum of it. What about another example? This time, taken from Numbers chapter 20. We recall that Moses, for some number of years, had been a rather dedicated leader to the children of Israel. He had been the one that God had allowed to serve as a leader of them, the one through whom God delivered commandments on many occasions. Moses, on that occasion, had been told this, Moses, you gather the people, you use your rod, you speak to the rock, and out will come water. We notice in the verses that followed, Moses gathered the people, he took his staff exactly like God said. But then he proceeded the very next passage to strike the rock twice, we notice God did continue to bless them with water, but then in the very next verse, God in a very thundering way pointed out the error of Moses and promised him that he would not enter the land of Canaan because of his sin. Notice with me that Moses did some of what God said. He gathered the people as commanded. He took his staff as commanded. But rather than speak to the rock only, he proceeded to strike it not once but twice. Question, was some S-O-M-E good enough? Or was it S-U-M, was it the sum that God demanded? Isn't that an intriguing question? Perhaps to First Chronicles 13 we might go and look at yet another Old Testament example. This time it was David involved. The Ark of the Covenant was not located where David wished it to be. It was in fact positioned in some far distant place at another one of the locations, the cities in the nation of Judah, of Israel. When David made the decision to bring it to a centralized location where his capital was, all seemed to be going well. He in fact sent word and of course Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were involved in bringing it. As they brought it, though, the oxen stumbled. Uzzah put forth his hand and touched it and died on that, on that location and at that time. Might we notice, David did have some respect for the ark. It was desirous to bring it to the location where the centralized government would be and where the tabernacle ultimately and the temple soon thereafter would be. He had a desire that the priests be involved in some way with transporting it. 
All that is to be commended. What was not to be commended? David did some S-O-M-E of what God said. It's just that he didn't do the sum of what God said. In 1 Chronicles 15, verses 2 and 3, he highlighted the thought of his error when that came to his understanding. He knew well then that it had not been transported as God said, and furthermore, that it had not been transported specifically in the way and by those that God had commanded. It is with all that in mind, might we close that particular slide and affirm in our minds the following. God's Word is the sum, S-U-M, and S-O-M-E of it, some of it, is not good enough. The church, of course, must always rest, and you and I individually, upon the thoroughness and greatness of the sum, S-U-M, of what God has declared. It is not our business to take bits and pieces of it. You and I should be ashamed to think we'll take this verse because we like it, but we'll ignore that one because we don't. We can't choose bits and pieces for all of it. The S-U-M of it is the fullness of what God has said. Throughout the ages, there of course have been many instances when the human family had certain verses that were their pets. There were others that were their disliking. And they would lift high the banner of those that were their preferences and they would encourage it in the minds and hearts of individuals that would listen But as far as those passages that taught what they happened not to like, those would be removed, at least in their mind. Doesn't that remind us in thoroughness about what Jehoiakim tried to do in Jeremiah 36? When on that occasion in the days of the ancient old, God had given through Jeremiah a set of prophecies, and the king Jehoiakim needed to hear them. When word of them was brought to Jehoiakim, he in fact summoned and had the whole roll brought and read. And as it was read in his hearing, he was so dissatisfied, he was so unhappy with what was said, he took his penknife and began to cut it to shreds and to throw it into the fire. Jehoiakim tried, you see, to do away with the Word of God. But we, you and I readily recognize what happened. God commissioned Jeremiah, in fact, to write the same things again, and up from the burning embers came the wrath of God on Jehoiakim because he had thought he could try to do away with the Word of God. The sum of it, S-U-M, is what should be our consideration and our concern. No wonder then we should make some applications of some of these thoughts to issues and matters that face us as we discuss things with our neighbors and relatives and friends. Matters that can in fact be challenging like this. Many have been those that will straightforwardly claim that belief in the Lord, pure and simple, in a mental way, is not only sufficient, it is all that one needs to do in order to reckon oneself as eternally saved. I use that word belief in the sense of again just a mental understanding that the Lord did come and that He shed blood for the sins of all And simply having a belief in that, for so many, is purely enough. There isn't a person with the sound of my voice that would question the need for belief. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Didn't Jesus say in John 8 24, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. 
The understanding of the role of belief is certainly easy to appreciate. Question, is that some of the truth or is that the sum of the truth? We each recognize that many other verses must, of course, be taken with the understanding that they're also included in the Word of God. I would invite you to look with me at some of these. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. In 1 Peter 3, 21, the inspired writer there asserted the following amazing and so simple to understand truth. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We noticed in those two passages, belief was mentioned. It was highlighted as a matter of central importance, but was it all that was mentioned? It was not. We've seen, for example, the need for repentance. We've noticed the impressive need for baptism. And you and I, being interested in the sum, S-U-M, of God's Word, realize we can't ignore these. It's not our business to pretend they don't exist. We do so to our eternal jeopardy, of course. We see so well in Hebrews 5, verse 8, maybe in an encompassing statement the following truth. But though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Though we see belief is important, that's only some, S-O-M-E, of the fullness of God's Word. There is the need to obey. And that includes all the statements and the commandments that God has set forth. As you can see with me in Galatians 5 verse 6, it is faith that worketh by love. The prompting description of that place that points us in the direction of the application and the obedience of that which God has set forth. So we see that even though men may think that a mental ascent is sufficient, God's Word says that's only some, S-O-M-E, of the truth. Is it some, S-O-M-E, or S-U-M, though, that's needed for salvation? It's the latter, isn't it? And so, let us consider another application. Obedience over against the matter of convenience. Each of us appreciate convenience, I'm sure. In fact, we've come to understand the role that it occupies when there's a more efficient way to do a task. We longingly look forward to doing it that way. Convenience is a very significant issue to us, isn't it? There are those that would allow that to be the governing guide in their religion. I need a religion of convenience. It needs to be easy. It needs to be, in fact, so simple. And it needs to be very little in its demand of me. I'm busy. I have a lot of things on my plate, among my chores. And therefore, I need convenience above all things else. And thus, they attempt to marry convenience with the other things called obedience and somehow find a medium in which convenience is really the guide. I would invite you to consider with me some of these things. In convenience, there are many who would thus question or even cause to be set aside things like prayer. Are we guilty of leaving that out? My day is too busy to pray. Or others may leave out study of the Word of God. My day is too full for this. Maybe once a week ought to suffice. 
attendance at the services. My Sunday is full. I work all week. I only have two days to fill all the chores around the house, plus involve myself in some vacation or recreation, and therefore, Sunday worship surely must be regarded as optional. God will understand. Is that some, S-O-M-E, or is that S-U-M? Which one does God say? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There were those in the first century who were absenting themselves from the services of the church. The Hebrew writer said they were as the manner of some is. Question, did the Hebrew writer defend them? Did he in fact assert these people are being persecuted? These people are in circumstances in which God will understand. Nothing to that sense is found at all, is it? They were told that it was important for them to be there. And that is the sum of what God has decreed. Today, when you and I then lift high the understanding of importance, we do so because the Word of God has asserted it. And we know how significant it is for all of us to be here in a community of believers The world is not going to encourage your faith or mine. In fact, the devil, if he has his way, will quash it. He will rent it asunder and he will cause it to be brought to ruin. It's in a place like this where the Word of God is revered, where the priesthood of Christ is lifted high, where the understanding of salvation is proclaimed through the Word of God so sweetly. This is where we can keep our eyes fixed and focused upon the eternity ahead of us and to make sure we live in a way that God finds acceptable. The services are thus very significant. Not only our attendance, these other acts we've studied, I would invite you to look at some of the other passages listed at the top of that slide. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. We are admonished to be earnest and instant in prayer. We're admonished to be those given to a reading of the Word of God. Didn't Jesus say in John 6 verse 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That leads us to ask, what about my attendance at Bible study periods? They're a place in which we can learn more about the greatest and highest and most noble book of all. How do you suppose God would react at my willful absence? I choose to do something else. Watch TV, play golf, mow the yard, fix the car. It doesn't matter what it is. Is anything more important than this? Is anything more important than this? There's going to come a day when you and I are going to be judged by every word of it. Every word of the 27 books of the New Testament. It will be no excuse to say, well, I didn't know that. Where were you at all those Bible study periods? You could have known it. You should have known it. You had every opportunity to know it. There won't be any good answers, you see. When God says for you and me to appreciate the nature of obedience, we might notice that day of judgment will be a day in which a reckoning will take place. And I will stand there by myself. There will be no help from a preacher, no help from a family member, no help from a governmental official, no help from anyone except perhaps Christ. Oh, how sweet it will be to have Him there as your defender in mind if we have been faithful in keeping His Word. For there He will be able to say to the blessed Father above, 
My blood cleansed him. My blood's covered him. No wonder he will be able to then say, Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. It won't be on the merits of my goodness, for I don't have any. And it won't be on the merits of what I have set forth. It's only through the working of Christ in me. Each of us must rest upon that reality. Is it sum, S-O-M-E, or is it S-U-M, the sum? As we see in all these verses and all those Old Testament examples, S-U-M is the important thing. And we can't plead ignorance. As you can see, perhaps another challenge. Christianity and growth. The Word of God is so replete with its encouragement to you and to me to seek maturity in the faith. Didn't the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews 6 to go on into perfection? Each of us realize that there are failures and there is more work and maturity to do. I would use this particular point to assert that there are some that might be tempted in our world to use this as an excuse. God understands that I just don't have the talents of other people. I just am not able to do what they can do. And so He will understand when I just remain on the outskirts of the church community, I'll just do what little I can. And sometimes that's very little. And God will be happy with that. Are we sure about that? In Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12, we read the statement that is right before the one we noted just a moment ago. Let us go on to perfection is preceded with these words. For which time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's an exercise involved. That is to say, an employment, a putting to use, an application. Are you and I doing that? Are we striving, in fact, to grow in our Christian life? Is it any wonder that Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18, "...but grow in grace..." and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, To desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. We find that issue of growth encouraged and emphasized in some rather notable and rather memorable ways. Perhaps finally, as you'll notice, the bearing of fruit is an issue that is encouraged of you and of me. We discussed that a little bit in the Bible class this morning. Even though our discussion had started from a discussion of the priesthood in Leviticus chapter 8, we noted that those priests, after their sanctification, were put into the work immediately. So too it is in the New Testament, isn't it? When you and I become a Christian, we have the blessed honor of being fellow workers with Him. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8 and 9. We are not given a 10, 20, 30-year grace period. I just haven't matured enough yet. We are to begin to use our abilities and talents in the way to set forth the work of God immediately, doing what He has allowed us by His giving of our talents for us to do. Question, is it some or S-U-M? 
Is it enough to use some of my talents to do what I want to do just when it's convenient? Or rather, is it the sum that the Word of God sets before me? In every case, it's been the latter, hasn't it? In every instance, it has been the S-U-M that's been so vital and so needful. It is with all that in mind that we come to the last element in the lesson this morning. The final thought that we'll use to close our time together. Speaking about the nature of God, there again has been a widespread issue for centuries due to a failure to appreciate all that the Bible has said. You have probably heard it as many times as I. Someone will say, but God is a God of love. He won't send anybody to hell. He won't, in fact, be wrathful. He won't be vengeful. He loves everyone, doesn't He? There are books and songs and magazines and articles and pamphlets that decree and cry that thought to the highest of ways. And it's true, God is a God of love. We can't question that. 1 John 4, 8 tells us so. The psalmist on many occasions spoke about the nature of God's love, but that same book that highlights His love states that our God is a God of judgment and our God is a God of wrath. Romans 1 verse 18 still says, The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We must accept that as the sum, S-U-M, of what the book of God has decreed. It's not enough, you see, just to take part of it and claim that God's love will save one and all or to say that God's love will overlook my failures or sins. It's the sum, S-U-M, that is so vitally significant. Question today, is it sum, S-O-M-E, or is it the sum, S-U-M? Each and every one of us must answer that question. Whether you directly do so or indirectly, you will answer it. The song of invitation will be sung in just a moment. And if you find in your life that you have given too much emphasis to S-O-M-E, to some of what the Bible says, then realize, my friend, that you're in a very dangerous situation. For S-O-M-E has never been good enough. S-U-M is what's needful. The sum total, the completeness, the entirety of what God has decreed and declared. That walk with Christ, of course, begins with your initial obedience to the commandments of the gospel. Have you believed Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed His sweet name as the Savior of yourself? Have you been baptized for the remission of sins? If not, you haven't attended to this S-U-M of what God has said. Today, we'd be honored to assist in your obedience in that regard. And what a blessing it is that Christ will add you to His body. If you have become a Christian at some former time and place, but at this particular moment you have given far too much interest to only some of living the Christian life, S-O-M-E. And there are aspects of this book that you know, which is indeed the sum, S-U-M, which you haven't done and are not doing. Why not make some things right today? Come back to your first love, Revelation 2.5. Let us pray with you and for you and in so doing that God will forgive you of your sins and put you in a place of faithfulness yet one more time. If we could be of assistance to you in that way today or in the former, 
Why not even this very moment will you not come while together we stand and while we sing?